0: This is the John Clayton Show.
1: On 710 ESPN Seattle.
0: Get in on the conversation at 866-979-ESPN. Now here's your host, the professor, John Clayton.
1: Shannon and
2: Dre are joining us at the bottom of the hour, 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Fred and Birch Bay, thank you for being so patient. Thank you.
1: John, no problem. Um, I was just going to give you a compliment on your patience with the, uh, <laughs> well, the uh, interesting perspectives that come into your phone call. every Yeah. Week. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're remarkably patient. So I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah.
2: And you, my- uh, you, you, you notice I wasn't critical. I didn't agree, but again, you know, at least we had the debate on it and, uh, you know, he was able to make his point and I made all my points.
1: Yeah, it was, um, Th- th- that was absolutely worthy of a college study class on how to be patient with people and and let them know that they're important and yeah, their yeah. point of view is good. Hey, so my question really quickly is, Ryan Jansen, is yeah. the the kid from uh, Tampa, the Tampa Bay, Bay yeah. Buccaneers, the free agent, is there any pipe dream in my mind that could actually see him coming to the Seahawks? Is it possible that kid's at? Yeah, Whale of a player. My goodness.
2: Yeah, I know he is. Uh, I mean, it's possible. I don't. You know, you, you figure <clears throat> that you know as good as he was last year, you know, he can maybe make about ten plus million dollars. But we'll that see. Was
1: my question. Yeah. Would and that, he, that that, that may he, be hard is to say. in going to be out of the price range. But could be. Haven't we learned this lesson before that when you have a good center, you hold on to him, good things happen.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, Max Unger was a good center. Uh, I, I still think that Ethan Posick has done a decent job, although yeah, we'll see if he comes back or not. But, no, I think when you have a good center, I mean, you want to keep him as long as you can because I'm like, for example, you know, Brandon Bean, uh, the uh, general manager of the, the uh, Buffalo Bills. I mean, that's one of his big things. I mean, you build the line around the center, even though tackles are a more important position, but you've got to have that right center to be able to do well.
1: Yeah, I just can't help but think how good he'd look in a Seahawk uniform. That guy's yeah.
2: got oh, he's really good. An
1: attitude. He's got an attitude that just doesn't quit. Yeah, I just thoroughly appreciate that kid. So thanks for the call, John, and take care. I hope the watch's doing well.
2: Yes. I hey, thank you. 979 ESPN 421 ESPN. Let's go to Steve in Skyway. Hey, Steve.
3: Hey, good morning, John. How are you? Good. How are you? All right. Hey, I just cover a quick thing first of all the super bowl it it was a little bit better than average super bowl i mean the rams would have been in real trouble if they couldn't have won that one they had everything going for them they really did you know um i wanted to know this this is a very good year to be an offensive lineman isn't it it is now as far as the hawks go do you see them doing a combination of things maybe free agency and the draft i can see that yeah i I think
2: so I, I really do think, you know, with the 41st pick in the uh, draft, that, uh, you know, uh, they could lean toward taking a tackle, because I think there could be a good tackle there at 41.
3: Yeah, yeah. and and it seems to be like a, uh, a trend. Sometimes it's, there's a trend of, of a real run on really good defensive mm-hmm. players and then a run on really good offensive players. Where do you think we are on that?
2: Uh, well, I mean you know, it, it's, it's, this draft is so, it's different because like a couple, a couple examples of it is that, uh, you know, you have more seniors than, uh, probably ever. Like normally you're going to have 20 to 24, 23 players who are underclassmen. I counted up only 17 will go in the first round as opposed to the 20 plus. Right. And, um, uh, you know, you got you know, a lot of seniors because you have, remember you had the uh, the senior class that could come back for a second senior season, so yeah. it's like uh, that that's that's different. Well, now, now
3: do you, you think that's a function of the these players realizing, particularly offensive linemen that if they stay in college a little bit longer and get more seasoning that prepares them better for the pros?
2: No, they want they want to get out and get money, but again right. it's like the pandemic changed everything because you know back two years ago i mean you had so many of the uh college players you know one you know opting out or two only able to play three four games right and okay. so it's like uh you know they didn't have the opportunity to get on the field to develop any skills now do you
3: know much about the um seahawks strength and conditioning coaches are they yeah. is that a good group good group okay because uh I was just—I was just wondering because they're going to have this influx of talent and, the, mm-hmm. and everything. They're going to have to really do something with it. And then I wanted to say something real quick about uh, John. Somebody must have cut the telegraph line between here and Bristol because I heard the dumbest thing I heard in a long time the other day. They were—they were talking about Russell Wilson, of course. Yeah, yeah. And Damian Woody had nerve enough to look into the camera and say. I wish Russell Wilson would tell us what he wants to do. Oh jeez.
2: <laughs> I mean, you
3: know, I mean, it just, it's, it's, it's just, it's almost like back there they don't want us to have nice things out here.
2: Well, it's like him. What he's only had like about eight press conferences, if not more, where he says, "I want to finish my career in Seattle. I want to win Super Bowls here in Seattle." And then, then of course, you know, uh, then people were going crazy. You know, because, you know, he took down his Seahawks stuff from Twitter. And put Twitter. a
3: picture of him and his dad up.
2: Yeah. and But but then, you know, as everybody points out, if you go on Facebook, if you go on Instagram, if you go on, uh, you know, any of the other uh, social media things, he's got Seahawks stuff.
3: I know. And then, hey, John, finally, I, I'd like you, you know, watching the Super yeah. Bowl and, and Aaron Donald play and everything. And, and, of course, all of us are kind of prisoners of uh, yeah. the most recent thing we see. Could you just make a brief comment on 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 a man that was a great enough player to win defensive player of the year on a two and fourteen team, and that is Cortez Kennedy. Oh,
2: fantastic! I still remember, you know, back then in uh, you know when he was that the, the year he won defensive player of the year, we had you know Peter King and a whole bunch of us writers, you know, were all on conference calls, and we'd have a conference call every Thursday. And with the conference call, you know, we exchanged notes and, you know, talked about players on teams and, you know, different news items and things like that. And I kept on pressing, pressing, pressing that Cortez Kennedy, you know, should be considered for Defensive Player of the Year. And, you know, it's like uh, surprisingly, and I say surprisingly, they listened. Right. And they voted for him.
3: Well, I mean, I mean. The season he had that year, I mean, we had to watch, we watched yeah. bad football that year, but he was the brightest spot in that, that season. I mean, the, the, he was doubled and triple teamed all the time.
2: Uh-huh. Agreed.
3: All, and he was still in a very a very effective player, and the thing about it, he, and he was such a great guy.
2: Right. Girl, the other oh, part. fantastic.
3: I mean, he, had to, he was the whole package, John. You know? Uh-huh. He really was. Okay, well, hey, good talking to you, and uh, we'll talk later about how these hawks are going to get better
2: okay steve hey thank you
3: all right you take care
2: 866 espn Two zero six four two one espn give us a call here you know uh we are taking your phone calls and then of course at the bottom of the hour shannon Dreyer will be joining us so let's let's do this let's take a break get your phone calls it's the john clayton show 710 ESPN Seattle This is The
1: John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com. Shannon Dreyer
2: joining us at the bottom of the hour. Give us a call at 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. Let's go to David in Queen Anne. Hey, David. Hey, John.
4: Another great show. Well, thank you. Um, The last two, two or three weeks have kind of been like a Fellini movie. Very strange.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agreed.
4: The phones last week were bizarre, and then I tried to call the week before, and you couldn't hear me, and you'd already had problems with the caller before me. It was weird. So let's talk about the draft. It's here. Um, One of my favorite times of year, so I can appreciate it the way you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the guy they call about um, not having the draft, there's only one NFL. Right. So if you want to work for the NFL, you work for the NFL. You can go work for the USFL. I think there's still football teams in, in Europe. So yeah, but even do you the U- have to work in the NFL.
2: Yeah, but even the USFL had a draft.
4: Exactly. <laughs> um, let's talk about skill players on both sides of the ball yeah. and who the guys are that I think the Seahawks might look at. They kind of fit their mold. Running backs. Um, I really like Tyler Algiers out of BYU. Had great production, 1,400-plus yards. He's 5'11", 220, great power, mm-hmm. brilliant. He really has great vision. He really sees the field well and, and, and has a lot of want to. Um, average 5.7 yards a carry. That's just absolute production. Another guy that nobody's talking about, and they're talking about him a little bit, but I still think he's probably a day-two guy. A day-three guy that mo- most people aren't talking about, Kennedy Brooks. Mm-hmm. So he's of Oklahoma, um, 5'11", 215, over 1,200 yards rushing, averaged 6.3 yards a carry, wow. 15 touchdowns. And he, he kind of fits that mold, right? He's solid. He's stocky. He's got good burst, um, great in the hole. Uh, so I, I really see him as a day, a day three gem that, that uh, people aren't talking about yet.
2: Well, I'll tell you um, what, one, you, you'll appreciate this. Talk yeah. to general manager, one of the general managers and a couple of general managers this week, and they think running back <clears throat> might be the best position in the draft. Now, again, there may not be a running back go in the first round, but they said you can get a good running back like you're talking about because you're right on it, is that uh, you can get a good running back f- into the fifth round.
4: I, I have eight guys that I think will start in the league. Yeah. And and um, more than four of them are, are, are day three guys. Nobody's Boy, you, you've,
2: you really study this stuff. Good for you. Well,
4: I, I, I've been having fun with it for a while, and you inspire me quite a bit. Tight ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guy that I think that is really going to be great because he's so sudden out of his breaks. He's so big. His hands are so soft is Jelani Woods out of University of Virginia. 6'7", 259, um, averaged 13.6 yards a catch, had eight touchdowns in what was a, not really a high powered passing offense. And the way he looked, um, in the all star game that he played in this year, so sudden out of his breaks. He had safeties. Spinning, mm-hmm. and somebody that's that big is such a tremendous target. Uh, wide receivers. Um, I think this is a great wide receiver class too. I, agree. I think there's a lot of guys that people just are not really paying attention to. I really loved Coastal Carolina's offense last year. So prolific. And there's a kid, uh, JVN. Hey, uh, I think it's highly or to 200 pounds, eleven 1, hundred yards of production, seventeen point one yards of catch. Great wingspan, big hands. Um, really, actually, runs a solid four or five route route tree. Um, I, I think he's one of these guys that somebody will pick up and turn into a, a really big starter. Um, there's some really interesting guys that that have great production that that nobody's talking about. Um, Danny Gray out of SMU. Yeah, agreed. Um, nine touchdowns, sixteen point four yards a catch. Um, 6'1", 180. Uh, he runs... You know who he reminds me of? He reminds me of a young Jerry Rice body type. Wow. So it, it'll be interesting to see if he can do much. What do you think about what's coming in, in on the defensive side of the ball in the draft?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's a good safety draft. I think it's a good edge rusher draft. You know, because the, the thing that's so interesting about this draft, I think, is the fact that uh, there's not as many underclassmen as usual, because normally you're going to have over 20 uh, taken in the first round. And I only counted up like about maybe 17. <clears throat> but again, <clears throat> you got two, at least two going in the top four, three, top five picks. You know, maybe the first pick that, and that then you've got a couple of tackles that'll go in there and we'll see about the Notre Dame safety. But, uh, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, it, it's I think it's good for for that. Uh, I don't know how good it is at linebacker. Uh, defensive tackle is okay. It's actually pretty good. So, yeah, I, I think this is a good draft because, again, you know, where last year it was so starved because, you know, you had the pandemic and you had less players available who are draftable players. This year you have so many more.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, you've always talked on, on, on the offensive side of the ball and the offensive line yeah. part of it that the that, that college ball really doesn't prepare players to play pro ball. And because of the transition that Pro Bowl has taken on in terms of adding to their passing game, adding to their strategy, of a more wide open offense like a lot of college games, I think there are college teams that are really starting to provide um, players with good experience in both run and pass blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Oklahoma was one of those teams this year, Baylor was one of those teams. I really saw Michigan as one of those teams. I think there's guys that are coming out of Michigan that will play offensive linemen that nobody is talking about. Uh-huh. Agreed. And, and and they've just had the experience of having to do both when that was not very common before they were all pass blocking and they weren't having to run block. You know, you talked about the linebacker class. I got a couple of names for you that I think people will be really surprised about. So one of them, people are talking about a little bit, DeMarco Jackson out of App State, Appalachian mm-hmm. State. Um, I, I create a, a model for um, grading defensive players, and it's about a, a turnover factor. Um, a fact, to me, is as good as a, 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 a tackle for loss because both of them are basically a lost down for the opponent's offense, right? Right, agreed. And, and so you need three lost downs in a row, and it's a turnover, Right? Because they have to punt. Uh huh, uh huh. And, and so I call it turnover grade. And, um, he had a very high turnover grade. So to give you an idea of, of what the ultimate, you know, player in the linebacker class turnover grade was, Devin Lloyd, 6'3, 235, had an almost 60 turnover grade. Wow. But, but he's the only guy that comes close to that number, right? And, and the guy, absolutely, I expect him to go in the first seven picks. If he doesn't, it'll really surprise me. But DeMarco Jackson had a 35.5 turnover grade, long arms, big hands, aggressive, downhill player, can can play in coverage when he needs to, but he's absolutely a middle linebacker. But there's another kid that nobody's talking about, a kid by the name of Colin Schooler. And where is he from? The same place as Jordan Brooks. Wow. He's from Texas Tech. And he played for Arizona for three years and then transferred and played Texas Tech for two years. 6'1", 230, very aggressive. He's very good um, finding the ball. He can get through the the blocking wash that linebackers have to be able to navigate. But he's also great in coverage. He had a 23 uh, turnover grade his senior year, but both freshman and sophomore years at Arizona, he had a 32 turnover grade. Including multiple interceptions and passes defense.
2: Wow, he,
4: he's he's a kid that I when you watch him on film, you're just like, wow. Why is the is nobody talking about this kid? So there, and I think there's a bunch of players like that. I, I think you're right about the safety class. Jalen Petrie is starting to get some some real coverage. People are talking about him, and and I have a turnover grade of 44.5. I mean, the guy had. 17.5 tackles for loss. Uh huh. <laughs> and, and they call him a cornerback. But he is truly a safety. But there's a kid by the name of Jaquan Miller out of East Carolina State. I have a 45.5 turnover grade. He had 16 passes defense and five interceptions. Wow. And he's just 5'10, 183. He's probably the ultimate free safety slash nickel corner. And I, I'm starting him to see him come on some radars. But most people have him absolutely round seven or you know undrafted free agent. And so um, I, I, I think there's going to be a lot of that. And I think the pandemic has had a lot to do with that. It's caused people to kind of not be able to get the information that they really need because they can't show up on campus. They weren't able to do that over the last two years. All of that has become a factor for the scouting operations and especially the guys that do all the mock drafts. Right? Okay, you know, yeah,
2: final, a final them. thought here. Uh, what's your thoughts on the quarterbacks in this draft?
4: Oh, so <laughs> my guy, my pick that I think nobody's paying any attention to. And and the reason I like him is because he's a field general. You see it in the way he plays. And that's Jack Cohn from Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. 6'3", 217. He's, he's m- mobile enough in the pocket to have good pocket awareness. He had uh, 3,000 yards production. Uh, he's not throwing the ball way down the field and doesn't need to. He gets the ball out quick, 8.2 yards per reception, 25 touchdowns, and six interceptions. Wow. And they had some solid competition this year. Like mm-hmm. did. They had to play some defenses. And and uh, I I just uh, – he looked good in his all-star game, um, you know, calm, collected, uh, nothing shook him. And, and he looked that way all year. And And I think he's going to be one of these guys that – you know, comes out and everybody goes. Why will not we paying attention to him?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
4: So, and and that's a weird. You know, that's going. That's the antithesis of what everybody's looking for. Everybody's looking for that guy that can. You know, he's got four or five speed, and he can. You know, win games with his legs. But what we know is Mac Jones is doing what Tom Brady did in New England, uh-huh. and you know you got the right coaching scheme. You got a, a coach that can coach an offensive line. Why don't the Seahawks get better at coaching their offensive line? Can you name any of the people that are on the offensive line for, let's say, New England? I know of David Andrews, their center. Yeah. I can't think of anybody else. I yeah. don't know their name, mm-hmm. but their offense runs like clockwork. Yeah. So, well, Mike Solari
2: was one of the best but they made the change there to go with Gary Dickerson to at least get that Rams offense going. Hey, by the way, great call, great information. Thank you for the phone call. Thanks, John. Coming up next,
1: Shannon Dreher. This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com.
2: Talking baseball with uh, Shannon Dreher. And, of course, Shannon, we got till Monday to see if they can get some kind of a deal done players owners meeting for the six consecutive days are you optimistic something's going to get done
0: you know i've been all over the board with that and it's kind of been going in the wrong direction over the last mm, i'd say 10 days maybe two weeks but you know the important thing is right now is that they are meeting and these meetings are significantly longer than what they were before and of course uh, the consecutive days is a big deal, but they still have the toughest issues on the table. And that, of course, is, you know, compensation for the club control players, the first three-year players. Uh, that is, uh, you know, the Super 2s that they are looking at right now in the pool for that. And then, of course, the uh, CBT, which uh, that basically baseball's luxury tax, or tax, which will be the last thing that gets done. It will eventually get done, but the question is, when and will that be something that they cannot get past in the next 48 hours. Mhm. What
2: what uh, kind of break down <clears throat> where the owners stand on some of these things in particular.
0: Uh way far apart from where the players are. And when you look at what has gone on you know, since the end of the season, just any any progress has been very incremental and when they come back with their proposals and then uh, other times you'll see different sides uh, offer something and then take something that they've already offered back. So it's been very difficult in that regard to gain any traction on any of these issues that are so big. As far as the CBT goes, uh, last year, uh, the bargaining tax uh, was uh, the rate where you hit it was at $210 million, which meant if you exceed this amount in player payroll, you are going to have to pay a, ta- a tax, which is escalating both in uh, the amount that you go over and the years, the consecutive years that you exceed that task. So last year it was 210. The union is asking for 245 million threshold on that. The, uh, the, uh, owners have come back with an offer of 214 million. So you can see very far apart on that. And if you were just to raise that, uh, four million dollars, that, you know, is just not in line with what has been going on financially and revenue wise. For baseball. So that is uh, absolutely a sticking point. Major League Baseball has also said, oh, well, we'll raise it a little bit, but we're also going to raise the penalties uh, drastically. And that doesn't work for the players either. It's just, again, the de- incentivizing teams to spend. And they are looking for teams to spend in order for them to be more competitive, which is somewhat what the tax has done. You could look at since its institution, you haven't had uh, a team win back to back World Series. So in that regard, um, that has been good, but you also look around baseball right now, and you see the number of teams that are tanking, and you see the number of you've got the collective bargaining uh, tax at two at at two uh, hundred and ten million dollars. Only two teams exceeded that this year, yet there were three or four that were right under there and clearly trying to stay out of that territory. So, in that regard, it has acted as a salary cap, and that is something that the players obviously do not want.
2: And am I correct to say? particularly last year and maybe the year before that, uh, less players got big money.
0: No, you know what? If you look at it over kind of the length of this deal, that has been the one constant is the big money. You know, the Max Scherzers, the, uh, the, the, the top of the baseball food chain, they have been fine. It's been the middle and the bottom that has consistently been falling off. And if you look at it, Over the last four years, each year, kind of the average salary has gone down. And that's not because of the top. That's because of everyone else. If you look at what Major League Mm -hmm. Baseball has done in that time, over the four-year period, there have been huge gains. We're talking about an $11 billion industry right now. And, uh, you know, the way that I've explained it is you've heard all about, you know, the stats, the numbers, and the metrics that are involved in baseball right now, and it might be, you know, annoying to hear about, you know, the stat or war or things like that. Well, it, they're not just out there for, you know, the, the stat geeks and the numbers people who want to get more into the game. Organizations are using them to evaluate what they have. So more so than ever, they have been able to put an accurate value on players and players that they might want to bring into their organization. Now, the problem here is is for you know, a long time, the model in baseball has been, you know, you're under club control for six years, then you become a free agent, and that's when you get paid. And some of what you will get in free agency is for what you had done before, not so much for what you are going to do. Well, teams aren't doing that anymore. They are only paying for what they believe and project and the numbers that are quite good What you're going to do uh, in the future so basically you've got a whole group of players that you know are 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 giving so much in those club control years yet not getting They all get their free agency payday but not as many and perhaps not as much and they're certainly not being compensated for what they did before they got to free agency so there's a lot that needs to change it's not just a matter of well we need this, this many more dollars uh, that's probably how, how it's going to be addressed initially, but at some point the system is going to have to change, and I don't see that getting done in two days.
1: Wow,
2: that's that's, that's a lot to ask, <clears throat> and, and I would imagine that um, baseball ratings have not been as good the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, uh, you know it's been up and down. I mean, obviously it's uh, it, it's, and this is where kind of the shame yeah. of it is, is because that it, baseball. You know, it, baseball, is, it, it's, it's something, it, it's an everyday thing. It just so reflects life, and you can have a big commitment to it, or you can just kind of drop in. And when you look over the length of things, okay, the numbers are going down, but then you look over a very successful postseason and World Series, and you know that there are things that people gravitate to. There are things that you can grab onto if you want to grow that, that audience. And unfortunately, things like what we are seeing right now can hurt that. And, you know, even if people come back, you're missing out on opportunity when you don't build off the momentum of a a postseason that you had last year. And you're missing out on an opportunity in 2020 when there was (laughs) nothing else and people were starved for live sports. And rather than getting this game out on the field and having that opportunity to pull in that audience and keep some of that audience They were doing what we're doing right now. It hurts the sport. But, you know, as I said, there are necessary changes that need to come to this game. And the unfortunate thing is it's not all going to get done right now. You know, we will be playing baseball at some point. You you will be going to the park at some point. But a lot of these kind of root problems are still going to be there. And there's a lot of, you know, a lot that's going to need to go into actually changing the structure of things.
2: No doubt. A young team like the Mariners, are they more affected than any other? I,
0: I think it, it, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I, I think that what you're missing out on right now is I think that you wanted Jerry Depoto to have a full off season to kind of work his magic and how he's going to retool and add to this roster right now. And, uh, you know, obviously it has been stopped for a month and a half. At this point, and you don't know what's going to happen when it opens up and who's going to be at an advantage <clears throat> in trying to grab the remaining free agents and fill out their rosters. So I think that that's kind of one of the biggest spots. I think the other big spot is, you know, we talked about grabbing on to moments where you can get that audience. You know, Mariners fans are, are ready. This is the year that they are supposed to go. This is the year where playoffs are absolutely a fair expectation and you saw what happened at the end of the season You had a couple of full stadiums you want to build off of that so in that regard that hurts as far as the development of players go I don't think it's going to hurt them that much if you're not out that long but one of the things to look for is that when this gets started some young players that will be hurt will be uh you know you look at Julio Rodriguez and I think that we are going to see him at some point this season and everybody's like when is he going to debut and that I base it on a couple of things. Well, do they bring in another outfielder from the outside? If they do, that's going to push that date back a little bit. We're not, you know, it will still be at some point this year, but then they're going to give him a little bit more time to get a little bit more development. Uh, With a shorter spring training, he wouldn't have as much time to show and knock that door down, which I think he's capable of doing. You also look and the ones that it will hurt in particular are the young players who are on the 40 man roster because those players are not eligible to participate in any of the minor league camps or the minor league spring training. Minor leagues are a full go right now, so they're going to open their season on time. They are, most of the Mariners minor leaguers are in Peoria right now participating in mini camps, and that will turn into uh, their minor league spring training soon. But uh, those that are on the 40 man roster, you know, even those who are going to likely start the season in the minors Julio Rodriguez is one of them they can't do anything they cannot participate in any of that until this is settled
2: wow what about Tacoma what kind of a team do they look like from what you gather
0: it's going to be interesting to see how they use uh, Tacoma this year Uh, and will you see some of the big stars come through there the future prospects come through there it's tough to tell exactly what they're going to look like at this point because You know, in some years, they're a mix of uh, having guys that can be ready quickly. And and those guys typically would have a little bit more experience and, you know, have big league experience, maybe be a little bit more of that journeyman player that can jump in when needed. And that's what we've seen in like the last couple of years. I think this year you will have more of a possibility that you will see some of the players start to come through there. Some of the prospects start to come through there. They won't, they shouldn't be there for long but, um, you know, if what you're going to see are a lot of players coming through there. And hopefully, hopefully, one of the big challenges they had and a lot of the AAA clubs had last year was just having enough pitching early on. And they had so many arms. You look at what kind of came through the Mariners' system in, in over the last few years and trying to put together with the injuries and whatnot, the starting rotation, multiply that by five, and that's what you had in Tacoma. It was really kind of a, a tough task to kind of juggle and try and get – starting pitchers into any kind of rotation because let's face it you know their their job is really to have people ready for the majors and they had to keep bringing them up to fill in spots but i think this year you will start to see that even out a little bit and hopefully you know guys that can spend a little bit more time there and uh, you see those prospects
2: if the season is delayed will you have to go down and see a bunch of tacoma games
0: yeah, you know, I I think um you know, we're ready to go when this gets going. Yeah. So hopefully it's not delayed and then I can get down to spring training and do it, but um you know, that certainly would be a worthwhile activity and uh you know, it's I, not something that I want to do, but it would be an opportunity to spend a little bit more time down there and and get a little bit more. But again, a, a lot of those players that you are looking for Uh, are kind of going to be in that limbo spot where they're on that 40-man roster and and cannot be there yet. So, you know, hopefully it doesn't come down to that. I'd like to go down there for a game or two on an off day, but, um, you know, hopefully we're not doing that on a daily basis for any length of time.
2: Yeah, and of course, how tough has this been for you to be up here in the cold when uh, you're so used to being in uh, Arizona in the warm?
0: Yeah, you know, I was looking at, it came up on my phone, the pictures and there's a picture of me after a, a workout, just standing on top of, uh, you know, one of the hills and, yeah, you know, did a, a player, a team workout, <laughs> went out and did a hike. And there I am mm-hmm. standing next to a cactus, you know, uh, that kind of thing. Definitely missed that without question. Uh, today would have been the first game. So I'm, I'm kind of debating. Do I send that picture out? The first pitch picture that we always. Uh, take at the beginning of spring training so that's hard um and then just kind of the idea if you're not quite sure when you're going to go uh there are some reporters that are down there covering the minor league side i'm kind of waiting until we know what is going to happen with this but you know the toughest thing is is again i said this is the year where it's supposed to be go time you want to be there on day one there's an excitement to see what this team is going to do and what these guys have been doing in the off season and, and what they look like out on the field but uh for now we have to wait
2: yeah i know it's kind of sad but now it comes down to getting something done by monday and boy it doesn't sound very optimistic but then like anything else deadlines get deals
0: let's hope that is correct i mean everything has been building up to this deadline i think it's all been laid out to that and you just hope that um you know they are able to come to some sort of agreement and then again i hope that they build off of it and you know these this is what we saw in 2020, and this is what we could see again in five years when the, CB, uh, when the collective bargaining agreement comes up. And at some point, you want to see some harmony or at least a better working relationship between the two sides because there's a lot of good in this game. But when you have to stop and fight about it uh, every five years or in uh, this case, every you know, we had to do it two years ago, that doesn't help things at all
2: and Dre are great stuff. I hope you get the chance to get to spring training and hope this thing gets done by Monday. Thanks for joining us.
0: Anytime, John.
2: 866-979-ESPN, 206-421-ESPN. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: This is the John Clayton Show on 710 ESPN Seattle and 710sports.com.
2: All right, thanks to Matt Nelson for producing the show. Thanks to Matt Nelson for running the show. Uh eight six six nine seven nine ESPN two oh six four two one ESPN. Let's go to Commando Dave. Hey David. Hey, what's up, John Clayton? Just uh waiting for the waiting for the combine.
5: Yeah, I hear you, man. Look, it's great to be back on the John Clayton show Saturday after the Saturday after Super Bowl fifty six or what I call the long and winding 27 week road back to football season when the Huskies open up in Husky Stadium against Kent State on Saturday, September 3rd. Or as the Temptations would say, it is the 3rd of September. Shout out to Matthew MC Nelson for getting me on the airwaves of 710 Cairo, home of the What Do We Do Now Seahawks and team enrolled in the Alexander Monday School of Lockpicking, the Seattle Mariners, so I can bring it to the show and while I'm giving. Shout-out, John Clayton. Let me just say this. As a Dodgers fan, I don't give a rip about the Mariners, but I could listen to Shannon Dreyer talk about the M's all day long. Now, rewinding back to Super Bowl 56, John Clayton, that, that, that game was comprised of approximately uh, 150 plays or so, and in my estimation, Professor, it came down to two. The box, uh, boxed extra points. Uh, by the Rams on their second touchdown, which left them uh, with 13 points. And the Bengals taking a sack on third and three at the Rams' 12 and blowing a prime opportunity to put the pressure on the Rams by going up 24-13. Uh, they had to settle for a field goal, of course, right there, uh, and a 20-13 lead, which moved the mass back in the Rams' advantage. Now, i got to put the back to the future disclaimer uh, right here, John Clayton, because, you know, once one thing happens, it changes everything else. But having played out the same, the Rams kick the field goal. They're down by eight. And then with the Cooper Cup touchdown, they would have had to go for the two-point conversion to tie. You know, convert, you go to OT, don't convert, convert, uh, lose the game. So even with the referees coming in, throwing flags uh, at the end, the Bengals kind of lost that game on their own. And, of course, John Clayton, a lot was made of Matthew Stafford taking the Rams to the Super Bowl in his first year with the team, and there's no doubt uh, had he uh, not been able to deliver, he would have been the one to blame. But in the craziest twist of fate, uh, Matthew Stafford went 26 for 40, 283 yards with two touchdowns. The Rams became the second team to win a Super Bowl in their own stadium. And two days later at the parade, he became 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 the uh, fall guy anyway yeah um, you know it's one thing to throw a no look past the Cooper Cup but Stafford uh, looked the photographer off like she was Jesse Bates. It
2: was a no, it, was, it was a no it was a no look at the photographer who fell off the stage <laughs>
0: exactly
5: just ridiculous uh, look speaking of Jesse Bates right quick John Clayton. Quandry Diggs' broken leg doesn't make him a guy the Seahawks may look at, does it?
2: I mean, well, I mean, Jesse Bates is going to get probably $15 million, I think. I don't know if the Bengals will pay it, but uh, he's going to get big money in Cincinnati. Uh, but, you can go uh, stay there. Uh, you, you can never tell with the Bengals.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, they're so uh, prudent, I guess you could call them. Cheap would be another way to call them. <laughs>
5: you think the uh, Seahawks might be doing
2: uh, anything to
5: for the secondary. I know that secondary uh, is pretty much in place yeah. there, but, uh, you know, Cooper Cup. look, he, to me, he is now the uh, uh, nightmare on Elm Street, the uh, uh, Freddy Krueger type kind of guy to me, that he's just keeping uh, the nightmares alive in defensive coordinators' minds. And, of course, the only playing them twice but the way that that guy now has really uh come up and of course Super Bowl MVP you know, what does he going do yeah. to do uh, to keep a guy like that from scoring you know out of the end zone
2: gotta I mean coverage I mean again it's like uh you get well, first off uh, as, as you know I mean you're, you're a former defensive back so you know you got to have the right coverage but also you need the mm-hmm. pressure on the quarterback to make it easier for the cornerbacks to cover
5: mm. Lassie John Clayton, an earlier caller mentioned Russell Wilson should keep his agent in check to keep him from putting out stuff to the networks, But yeah. the agent works for the client, Right. so anything coming out of Russell Wilson's camp is from Russell Wilson. Why do you think he continues to do it?
2: Because he uh, he treats uh, Mark Rogers as a father figure, and it's like he's not going to you know go against his father.
5: That aside, Mark Rogers works for Russell yeah. Wilson, so anything that, Russell, that, that Mark Rogers is putting out, he's okaying it with the CEO of Russell Wilson Incorporated. Mm-hmm. And he, Russell Wilson, just seems to be letting it go. We saw this last year, of course, and now yeah. you know this year with a little bit of uh, you know this trade that and this trade that, uh, you know, guys talking. That's got to be coming from Russell Wilson, doesn't it?
2: No. No, I mean, Rogers speaks his own mind, and, uh, you know, Wilson just kind of just, you know, w- works on his craft.
5: Yeah, that's hard to believe.
2: It is, but it's, it is what agent, it is. It's a weird if I'm situation. Your
5: agent and I'm out here talking crazy about yeah. John Clayton. you just going to let me roll with it? And I go, look, uh, look, Dave, hey, listen, uh, stop it
2: yeah I, I'd say stop me it to
5: say what I want to say about you
2: yeah no it's like uh but again it's like uh you know Russell's Russell's different in that regard and I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to change hey thank you for the phone call my best friend Mrs. Clayton. Clayton to John Clayton okay sounds good And we'll be back next week at eight 8 to 11 it's the John Clayton show 710 ESPN Seattle